Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you'd open up a Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 18, 1 Samuel the 18th chapter will be in the Old Testament here in the beginning stages of the lesson. We'll be in a number of different places in the Bible throughout the, uh, the lesson this morning. And so you want to get a Bible out or scooch up next to somebody who's got a Bible and tell them to share. So let's all be looking in the scriptures for, for these next few minutes. That's what this part of our worship is all about. As you're turning to 1 Samuel 18, I will join in the welcome that Greg has already extended to you. It is great to see everybody this morning and uh, thankful for our visitors. I know that we have visitors, number one, because I am a visitor, but we've got other folks that are visiting. We've even got folks from, from Lakeside where uh, I worship and labor and just glad to have them and others who are here today. And if you're a member here regularly, thank you so much for, for being here and for the encouragement that you've given uh, to me already over the course of the last uh, not even been 24 hours yet. So uh, thank you so much for, for what's been a very uplifting uh, weekend thus far. We're talking this weekend uh, about God's how-to guide for life. And that, of course, is the Bible. All Scripture, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, perfect, whole, equipped for every good work. And amongst the many benefits of the Bible is this stuff down here towards the end. I'm getting to use this pen now. Is this stuff about being equipped for every good work, being complete and whole. The Bible is able to show us the things that we need to do and the things that we need to be as we try to live through this life. And we've tried to talk about things in a very practical sort of way, things that would certainly be of benefit to our young people, and that will be the case uh, this morning and, and, and then this afternoon as well, but things that are beneficial to all of us in the very just straightforward way in which the Bible presents those things, the clarity with which God speaks to us through His Word as we make decisions in this life. And I hope this morning in particular, all of us will give very careful attention to the things that we're going to talk about. Yes, this is for young people, but this is for people of every single age and of every single background. I think you'll see why here in just a moment. Let's read together in 1 Samuel, the 18th chapter. This is verse number 1. In 1 Samuel 18 and in verse 1, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul... The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved David as his own soul. I tell you what, I'd like to have a friend like Jonathan, wouldn't you? Even if you did not know anything else about this guy except for that one verse that we just read right there, you could read that verse and you could come away thinking, man, that seems like a really great guy. That seems like a really great friend. I'd like to have somebody who loved me and cared about me like their own soul. One translation actually renders that. David became as dear to Jonathan as his very life. And of course, if you study throughout the next several chapters of the book of Samuel, you will find that to be absolutely true. Jonathan is right by David's side in good times and in bad times. He gives David counsel. He gives David encouragement. He even protects and helps to save David's life. David valued that. David treasured the friendship of Jonathan. In fact, let's flash forward several years, maybe about 15 years into the future now, to 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, the Israelites find themselves in battle with the Philistines. And they are being led by the very foolish direction of Jonathan's father, King Saul. And David receives a report of the battle that's being waged. 
And in that is some very bad news. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, On the third day, behold, a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. And when he came to David, he fell on the ground and he paid homage. And David said to him, Where do you come from? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, How did it go? Tell me. And he answered, The people fled from battle, and also many of the people have fallen and are dead. And Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. David's best friend, David's closest confidant throughout his late teenage years and early 20s, as best as we can tell, was now dead. And we know that that was a terribly crushing loss for David to endure. Because you keep reading uh, on down in this chapter, verse 11 and 12 tells us there that David tore his clothes. He wept and he fasted. And then, of course, the last ten chapters, or the last ten verses of this chapter, records that terrible song of, of lamentation that David wrote for his fallen friend. What a hole, what a void that would have left in David's life. But, of course, life must go on. David, of course, now is the king. Officially, he is now the king. And he has a kingdom that must be ruled and must be led. In fact, let's flash forward a little bit further into the future, maybe about another ten years, to 2 Samuel chapter 11. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, at this point in time, Israel is just flourishing. And David is arguably at the high point of his career as the leader of God's people. That is... That is until 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. In the spring of that year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and they besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Now it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and he was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and he inquired about that woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers, and he took her. She came to him, and he lay with her. She had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house. Of course, you know what happens next, don't you? David's adultery leads to deception. It leads to murder, to conspiracy, to the death of the innocent child that was conceived from that relationship. That, of course, then sets off a whole series of terrible events. The sword never departs from David's house. His son Amnon rapes his half-sister Tamar. That, of course, leads to his son Absalom killing Amnon. Absalom then leads to a revolution to try and seize hold of the throne of Israel. Absalom then dies a horribly brutal death. Just a continual stream of misery and heartbreak all because all because of what took place there in verses 3 and 4. But what if? What if Jonathan had been there? Have you ever thought about that? What if Jonathan had not died in battle at the beginning of the book? And what if Jonathan had still been alive and he had been right there on that fateful day in David's life? What if Jonathan had been there in 2 Samuel chapter 11? i got to tell you, I think things would have turned out very, very differently. Because even though David had advisors, and he had generals, and he had priests, and he had cabinet members, and he even had an old prophet, Nathan, who gave him counsel and guidance and direction, David never really had a friend quite like Jonathan in his life. 
And so I'm asking this morning, what if Jonathan had been right there on that fateful day? Had he been there, I think 2 Samuel chapter 11 maybe would read a little something like this. That it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and he was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And as David turned to go back inside and inquire about her, there stood his chief commander, Jonathan, to give him a report of the battle against the Ammonites. And Jonathan said, David... You didn't. Were you looking, David? You're not thinking what I think you're thinking, are you? As David's face began to flush, Jonathan said, No, no, David. That's Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. He is one of your most loyal soldiers. You cannot have her because to take another man's wife is sin. King or no king, you're not doing that. I won't let you do that. It is wickedness against God. Verse 4, So David hung his head in shame. And he said, You're right. That was wrong of me to have such impure thoughts. Pray for me, old friend. Help me to remain faithful to God. And so David and Jonathan prayed together and returned to the council room to deliberate the plans for the next day. And the kingdom of Israel enjoyed great prosperity for 40 years. And the household of David had peace all the days of his life. Maybe it would go a little something like that. But stop and think about how different David's life would have been if a friend, a true quality friend, had been there to check that evil desire. If someone had been there to call him into account. If someone had been there to help him to remain steadfast and faithful to the Lord. What if Jonathan had been there? I'm asking that what-if question, that what-if kind of scenario this morning, so that I can then ask two important questions about your friendships and the kind of friendships that you are cultivating, young people, and in fact all of us. I'm going to suggest to you this morning that if you want to go to heaven, that one of the essential components that you're neither going to get in place in your life is you're going to have to have a quality relationship with a godly friend. And whether you are a young person who's in school, or whether you're a middle-aged person who goes and works the daily grind at at, at the workplace, whether you're an old person, retired, and you're just at home most days, I'm saying to you this morning that you need a friend. In fact, you need a friend like Jonathan. And the Bible's going to bear that out for us this morning. Let me set before you two crucial questions about friendship. And that begins with this first question. Number one, who is your Jonathan? Who is your Jonathan? I'll let that kind of work in your mind. You mull that around for a second. You think about that very seriously. And let's put some Bible passages together. Would you look in the book of Proverbs with me, please? In Proverbs chapter 18. In Proverbs 18, we'll actually make use of the wisdom literature a number of times this morning. In Proverbs chapter 18, I want you to notice how Solomon says that life is not necessarily about accumulating lots and lots and lots of friends. That's not really what's most important. Instead, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, a man of many companions, he may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's what we're looking for, isn't it? 
We're not necessarily looking for just a whole bunch of friends or a whole bunch of acquaintances. I've got this big dossier of all these people that I would call my friends. No, we're looking for a real friend. Not a bunch of Facebook friends. Not a bunch of Instagram followers. But a friend who will help you to serve God. One fellow logged onto Facebook one morning and he said, after he scrolled through his news feed, he said, I now know what ten of my friends had for breakfast, but I don't know whether any of them is struggling with a major life issue. And I think he probably hit the nail on the head. Is it possible that we are substituting shallow internet relationships for real Jonathan relationships? And even if you're not a social media user, you may be of the older generation, you don't care for all that social media stuff, is it possible that maybe we are substituting the trivial type of foyer talk? You know the kind of talk that goes on in the foyer? Hi, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? Well, I'm fine. What about this weather? Can you believe the weather? It's cold in January. I never would have guessed that. Are we substituting that kind of lame and shallow kinds of talk for real, deep, substantive conversation with a friend who cares about our soul. Jonathan was that kind of friend. Would you turn back to Samuel, please? Look in 1 Samuel 23. In 1 Samuel chapter 23, this is a verse that doesn't get a whole lot of press, but it would be well worth you marking or highlighting in your Bible. In 1 Samuel chapter 23, there's this remarkable account of David being at an incredibly low point in his life. Saul is chasing him all over tarnation. He's fearing for his life. His family is at risk. Everything is seemingly going wrong. And we're told there in 1 Samuel 23, verse 15, that David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. Verse 16 now. And Jonathan, Saul's son, he rose and he went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. He strengthened his hand in God. Who's doing that for you? Who is doing that for you in your life? Who is strengthening your hand in the Lord? Verse 17 continues on. He said to him, this is Jonathan speaking, Do not fear. For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Jonathan came to David, and he spoke to him the word of God. He helped David to do what was right. He strengthened his hand in the Lord. This was not some kind of casual, hey, how you doing, good to see you kind of relationship. No. This was a friendship of substance and meaning. In many ways, this is the flip side of 1 Corinthians 15.33. We talked about that passage last evening, didn't we? 1 Corinthians 15.33. Evil companions corrupt good morals. If that is true, and it is, then the inverse of that must also be true. That righteous companions help to build good morals. That's exactly right. That is exactly right, and that's what we need to be seeking after. Do you have a friend who is doing that for you? I'm not asking if you have a friend that you have all kinds of similar interests with, somebody that, that <coughs> excuse me, somebody that you can uh, share your hobbies with and, 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 and cut up with. That's not what I'm asking. 
I'm not asking if you have a friend who can always be counted on to, to give a like or to, to give a little heart shape on all of your pictures on Facebook. I'm not asking if you have a friend that, that you chat with for a few minutes at church and that's really the only time that you see that person throughout the week. No. I'm asking, do you have a Jonathan in your life? Someone who will strengthen your hand in the Lord. Someone who will call you into account if necessary. Someone who will say to you, hey, why don't we see you at services on Wednesday night? Someone who will ask you, hey, are, are you really sure that you want to wear that outfit out in public? It seems to be showing a lot of skin. Someone who will maybe see those posts that you're putting on Facebook and say, hey, is that really something that a Christian ought to be involved in, much less publicizing that on the Internet? Young people, when you go to someone's house, and somebody maybe uh, turns on a movie that's got all kinds of profanity or sexuality or all kinds of filth and smut in it. Is there somebody there? Is there a friend there who's going to have the courage to stand up and say, ah, I don't think we need to be watching this and I'm not going to watch this. I'm not going to stick around if that's what we're doing. Do you got a friend like that? Do you have a friend like Jonathan? Who is your Jonathan? Someone who will call you up and who will say, hey, can we go get a cup of coffee? Can we get together and just talk? There's some things that I'd, I'd like to talk about with you. Someone who will encourage you. Someone who will hold you up. Someone who will help you and help to repair and to rebuild your walk with the Lord if needed. Someone who knows you. and Someone who wants to see you in heaven someday. In Proverbs again, this time in chapter 11. In Proverbs chapter 11, look in verse 13. So much from the book of Proverbs about friendship. In Proverbs chapter 11, look in verse 13. The wise man says, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. There we go. Who do you trust? Who do you trust? Who do you trust that you are able to open up to? Who do you trust? Someone that, that knows you, who cares about you, and who has the best interest of you and your soul in mind. You need someone like that. I need someone like that. We need to be cultivating those kinds of relationships. All too often what happens is, is we want to build friendships with people who are cool, or people who have money, or people who, you know, everybody just thinks they're just the greatest thing since sliced bread, people who are very popular, people who can do something for us, who can help us in school, or who can advance us in work. When what we really need to be doing is we need to be seeking friendships that have a significant measure of trust to them so that we can open up and we can be real with one another. And we can help each other with the issues of life that truly matter the very most. Do you have a friend like that? Of course, you realize that a big part of that is being able to give permission. To have a friend that you trust enough that you're able to say, Hey, I want you to call me into account. I'm giving you permission to be the person who's going to call me out. If you see something in my life that is, that is out of step or just at the very least is questionable, I, I'm asking you, I'm counting on you to say something to me. That's actually not Proverbs. That's actually Psalm 141. In Psalm 141, in Psalm 141, David says something here that I just really believe you and I, we probably just need to make this our own personal mantra 
In Psalm 141 and in verse 5, David says this, Psalm 141 verse 5, he says, let a righteous man strike me. It's a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It's oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it, yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds. You see what David's saying there? David's saying, give it to me. Give it to me. Smack me on the face if you need to. I want a friend who loves me enough to say what needs to be said, to tell me what I need to hear, not necessarily what I want to hear. I don't want you to worry or to fret about how it's going to make things really awkward between us or how that's going to be difficult for you to have to say those things. I don't care about that. I want someone who's going to be a Jonathan in my life. When we grant that kind of permission, that really brings power to a friendship that's able to do some amazing things. Now, before I leave this first point, can I just make an observation here for all of the guys in the room? I need all the fellas to listen to me for just a moment. When I was looking for a background to use for the PowerPoint presentation this morning, I went to Google Images and I just searched the word friendship. Do you know what you get when you do a Google search for the word friendship? You get lots and lots of pictures of women being friends. You get lots and lots of pictures of kids being friends. You even get some really disturbing pictures of little puppies and kitty cats being friends. Lots of pictures along those lines. But as I saw all those pictures, I wondered to myself, where's all the pictures of guys being friends? Why are there so few pictures of of men having friendship? Let me just ask, men... Why are we so afraid to be friends? Why are we so afraid to be close to another man? I'm going to tell you, I think that the greatest threat that homosexuality may pose to our culture is not so much gay marriage. No, it may very well be the fact that men today are afraid to have a deep relationship with another man because they are afraid someone's going to say, Oh, that looks gay. Oh, you and that guy being friends, gay. That looks so gay. And as a result of that, we are pushing ourselves away from the very thing that David had with Jonathan. A deep and abiding friendship in the Lord. I'm going to say, men, we need that. Ladies don't seem to have a problem with this, but for whatever reason, men do. We need a friend that is trustworthy. We need someone that we can count on. We need someone that we can open up to. Somebody's maybe thinking, well, I'm married. I I do that with my wife. Listen, I talk to my wife about a great many things. But there are some things that I really can't talk to my wife about. She's not going to understand. She's not going to get it. But a man, a brother in the Lord, someone who's seeking godly things, I need a guy like that. I'm blessed to have several guys like that back where I am. One of those brothers is here this morning. I'm thankful for good brothers like that. Would you look in Proverbs again? Look in Proverbs 18. In Proverbs 18, look at what happens, gentlemen, when we don't have that. In Proverbs chapter 18, this is verse 1. Proverbs 18, verse 1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Do you see what the wise man's saying there? Don't isolate yourself. Don't try to be an island all to yourself. You need somebody 
who's going to call you into account. Because when we do isolate ourselves, we end up doing things that are wrong. We do things that are sinful. And yes, I am aware that there are people who say that David and Jonathan were homosexual. And yes, I am also aware that if you cultivate the kinds of friendships that I'm talking about this morning with another man, that yeah, there are going to be people who are going to misunderstand that. People who are going to look at that and they're going to point and they're going to say the gay thing and they're going to say all kinds of ugly things. But I'm saying to you this morning, men, we need each other. And we cannot allow the perverted attitudes of our world to drive us away from having the kind of righteous, spiritual friendship that Jonathan and David had. And in fact, it was the kind of friendship that David so desperately needed that afternoon when he was walking on the roof of the palace. Who is your Jonathan? That then leads me to this second important question this morning. And that is... Who are you being a Jonathan for? If you're still in Proverbs, look in chapter 27 now. In Proverbs chapter 27, I'm reading here in verse 6. In Proverbs 27 and in verse 6, the wise man says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. If you were to talk to people today about what they think is most important in a friend... You'll hear lots of different answers. People will say like, well, I think it's important to find somebody that's got a, got a good personality, somebody has a good sense of humor, someone who's loyal and has some character about them. Okay, those are, those are all good things and all good qualities, I suppose. But, but we're the people of God. We are the people who understand the importance of eternity. And we understand that having a few chuckles with a person who's got a fun personality here in this life But that's not really that important in light of the dramatic and eternal call of heaven. The opportunity to serve Jesus Christ and to live with Him for all of eternity. We believe that one day we will stand before God in absolute and final judgment. Which means that our understanding of friendship, that it is very different from the rest of this world. Because what we want to be is we want to be a true friend in Christ. We want to be a blessing spiritually to another person. We want to help people, not just to have fun and have a good time on this earth. We want to help people ultimately to go to heaven. Which means if something is not right, if there is sin in someone's life, if there are things that are spiritually amiss, then a true friend, a Jonathan, cannot and will not remain silent. That is the faithful wounds that the wise man speaks of here in Proverbs 27, 6. And admittedly, this right here, this is so hard to do. It is. There's a reason the wise man uses the word wounds. That's because it hurts. It's painful. It's a whole lot easier to rationalize in the moment and say, well, I I see that there's some things going on in, in that guy's life, but I'll say something later. I'll look for a more convenient time to bring it up. You know, it'll just make things really weird and strained and awkward if I, if I do go and talk to him about that. And I don't want to be ostracized. I don't, I don't want them to treat me differently. That's hard. I get it. But we need to be a Jonathan if we want to have Jonathan relationships. Somebody would maybe ask, well, how do we do that kind of thing? That's kind of difficult. Well, can I give you a couple of suggestions in that direction? 
Let's get a little bit of the New Testament here. Look at Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, we, we often sing that song, What a friend we have in Jesus. Well, maybe Jesus is who we need to be looking at as being the model and the template for what friendship is all about. In Philippians chapter 2, we're told about the kind of friend that Jesus was. In Philippians chapter 2, we're told in verse 7 that Jesus, Jesus made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I'm going to suggest to you that being a Jonathan, it begins by loving sacrificially. Think about it. Jesus is our friend at great cost to whom? At great cost to you? No. Jesus is our friend at great cost to himself. Jesus is not your friend because he's trying to get something out of you. You ever had a friend like that? Somebody who maybe just seems like, just kind of feel like you're being used by this other person? There's just, it's, it's very one-sided. That other person is not really contributing anything to that relationship. They're just always take, 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 take. They don't really even seem to care about you. That's not a Jonathan kind of friend. If I'm going to be a Jonathan, then I need to genuinely care for another person. I need to love him or to love her as my own soul. I need to love that person sacrificially. Where I am willing to even give myself up for their good and for their betterment. And as we're doing that, secondly, we want to build rapport. We want to be making sure that we are building rapport with people. Just because I hear that someone has done something sinful or done something wrong, that does not mean that I want to just rush in there and start clubbering them over the head with the Bible. That's not what I want to do. I don't want to yell and shout and scream at them when I don't even really even know that person. That's not helpful. It's not helpful at all if there's no depth of relationship there. You've heard that old expression, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's a general truth. I realize it doesn't apply everywhere and in every case. But there is a lot of truth in that statement. If I've known somebody for all of... Five minutes, and suddenly I'm screaming at them and shouting at them, you're so wrong and you're just so just doing such bad things. Well, that's not going to lead to any kind of positive outcome. We want to start slowly. We want to build that connection. That's Proverbs again. Look in Proverbs 15. In Proverbs chapter 15, this is rendered a, a number of different ways depending on your translation. In Proverbs 15, look at verse 23. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man. And a word in season, oh, how good it is. One translation renders that everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It is wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. And that is the key, isn't it? We want to love sacrificially, but we want to develop rapport to be able to say the right thing at the right time so that it can be received in the right spirit. Which means, thirdly, there needs to be some consistency. We need to be there for people. Would you just flip the page in Proverbs chapter 17? Proverbs 17, verse 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Do you remember that passage we read earlier in Samuel about how Jonathan, he arose and he went to David? 
He literally got up, made the trip to go and to physically be there with and for his friend. I say that because I want you to know that making a phone call to a friend, that's good. Sending a text message or or an email, that, that works too. But I'm going to suggest to you that there's nothing quite like actually being there for a friend. You say a lot about Job's friends and the story of Job, but you've got to give them at least one thing. They were there. They showed up. They were there for their friend. When someone is struggling, when someone is barely keeping things afloat spiritually, and you go to them, you go and visit them at their home, or you take them out to, to have a cup of coffee together, what that does is that, that gives some gravity to that relationship. It says to that friend, hey, I'm, I'm committed to you. I drove all the way over here. I'm putting my, myself out there for you. I'm here to help you in your time of adversity. We need to be there for folks. And then finally, of course, we need to be praying. When we pray for, or maybe even better, when we pray with someone, that really helps to raise that relationship to a whole other level. It signals to that friend that, you know what, this, this relationship that we have, it's about so much more than the weather or sports or work or all those other minutiae of life. No, it says to that individual that I am interested in you. I am interested specifically in your spiritual well-being. And that's not Proverbs. That's actually, that's actually James, the Proverbs of the New Testament. Look in James 5. In James chapter 5, here is a verse that I am afraid that we have relegated to the front pew during the invitation song. I think so many people have read this verse and that's all they think of is somebody coming down, sitting on the front pew during the invitation song. And I'm going to suggest to you that that's really not what James has in mind here. It can include that, but that's not what James is thinking about here. Look in James 5 and in verse 16. James says there, James 5, 16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. That you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I don't believe that that's talking necessarily about the front pew during the invitation song. I believe that's talking about the context of a genuine relationship between people who are trying to serve the Lord. Do you have a friend like that? Do you have somebody that you can go to? You can confide in? You can confess to? You can pray with? Because you want to be a Jonathan to them? Let me be very candid. I, I believe that there are people who are going to be lost because they don't have this. I really do. Without these kinds of relationships, there are souls who are going to be in danger, brothers and sisters who are going to find themselves floundering in sin. And as a result of people saying nothing and doing nothing because we've never built a substantive relationship where we can go and say something, there are people who are ultimately going to die and they're going to be lost. How different David's life could have been if only Jonathan had been there. How different could your friend's life be if you'll do the kinds of things that demonstrate and say to them, I love you. And I love you too much to just sit idly by and say nothing and do nothing while you make a mess of your life and your soul. Let's get it turned around, friend. Who? Who are you being a Jonathan for?
It's been said that a true friend is the person who walks in when everybody else walks out. And I believe Jonathan was that for David. And I believe we need that today for us. And I believe that we need to be that for other people. And what I need you to be doing right now is I need every single person in this room, I need you to be identifying in your life, number one, who is your Jonathan? And then number two, who are you being a Jonathan for? Everybody. You need to be answering those two questions. If you do not answer those two questions, then this lesson is functionally useless. It will have not done any good at all. Who's your Jonathan? Who are you being a Jonathan for? If the answer to either of those questions is, well, I just I don't really have anybody. I mean, I've got some people who I would, you know, call friends. They're friends with me on Facebook. There's nothing like the friendship that Jonathan and David had. I just don't really have anybody. If that is the case with you this morning, can I encourage you to look around this room right now? We've got 150 people sitting in this room right now. 150 people here of every age, of every background, of every maturity level, of every stripe and every flavor. There is no excuse for you or for me, for anyone here, to be lacking in the department of quality, godly friends. Take a look around this room and get you a Jonathan. Take a look around this room and see who you can be a Jonathan for. And then get started today cultivating those kinds of relationships as we help each other in our journey toward heaven. Now, as we extend the invitation of the Lord, I am reminded of the greatest friend that any of us could have. And that, of course, is Jesus the Christ. Our young brother read for us a few moments ago from John chapter 15, where Jesus, his assessment of what makes a true friend... Greater love has no man than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. That's a powerful statement. I want you to understand and realize Jesus didn't just say that. Jesus lived that. He literally did that. Laid down his life so that we could be friends with him. So that we could be reconciled to him and to his father. And the way that he says that we go about cultivating that friendship with him is in the very next verse. When he says, you are my friends... If you do what I command you, are you obedient to the commands of King Jesus? You have an opportunity right now as the invitation is being extended to you. It is not our invitation. It's not the invitation of the College View Church of Christ. It's not the invitation of Josh McKibben. It is heaven's invitation. It is the invitation of Jesus the Christ as he summons you to come to him and to become one of God's children. Can we help someone this morning to become a true friend of Jesus by being obedient to His will, to repent and turn from sin, to be baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins. You can know the blessings and you can know the joys of being a Christian this very day. We'd love to help you to do that. Brother or sister, it may very well be that you you began forging a friendship with King Jesus, but somewhere along the way you betrayed that friendship. You've not been faithful to Him. You've not been living for Him. You've not been obedient to His commands. Would you change that? Would you come back to Him? Would you repent? Would you let us pray with you? Encourage you? Confess those things to one another? Let's help each other. Let's help each other to serve the Lord so that we can go to heaven. If there's anyone who's subject to the invitation of the Lord, would you come right now while we stand and while we sing?